0: This conference will now be recorded. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again, if you would, in Hebrews chapter 13. We got our first look at Hebrews 13 last week. And uh, we're going to get right back to it here this morning. We didn't get much further than uh, verse 1 or possibly verse 2. And uh, no, we didn't even get to verse, yeah, we did, a little bit about neglecting hospitality. So uh, we'll get right back to it here this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Possibly if we jump on the horse and gallop, we can get to verses 3 and 4 because we have to deal with uh, prisoners and, uh, and then marriage prisoners, and marriage. There's a tandem for you. And uh, coincidence? We'll, uh, we'll study and find out. All right. Before we get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer. God is spirit. He must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. In preparation for the study of the word of God, let's humble ourselves before him, bowing for a moment of prayer, for a moment of silent prayer. Confess what needs to be confessed. Humble yourself under the authority of God, because our God is a consuming fire. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your graciousness. It is uh, in grace, Father, that we can serve you. Any service we bring, Father, is going to be in grace. It's going to be with reverence and awe. You are the consuming fire that you are, and and we are uh, thankful for that. It is uh, good to be reminded that as we approach you this morning to be fed, to be taught, to have our eyes and our ears opened, We recognize, Father, that it is only your grace that makes this possible. Who are we? And as Moses trembled and took off his shoes to be standing on holy ground, so too, Father, do we tremble. And uh, spiritually speaking, we take off our shoes, we humble ourselves with reverence and awe that we should be um, fed, that we should be taught that you should invite us into your council. So, Father, thank you for this time of study. Bless our time together. Open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts to receive the word implanted. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, we began Hebrews 13 last week. We noticed that it's really quite different from the first 12 chapters. It uh, really does serve as as an epilogue. The theological treatise of Hebrews 1 through 12 is followed by a brief word of exhortation. And when I see that expression in Hebrews thirteen twenty-two, when he tells them to bear with his brief word of exhortation, I think he's only referencing that 13th chapter as the brief word of exhortation. Uh, he's not calling the the author of Hebrews and not calling the 12th chapter a magn, magnum opus. He's not calling that a brief word of exhortation. But it's really uh, chapter 13 is an appendix. It is a closing a greeting and a closing word. And so uh, we'll we'll run through it over, um, I don't know how many classes it's going to take. We've been averaging about 10, about 10 classes per chapter. So we'll see if we keep that pace here for chapter 13. Um, when he says, let the love of the brethren continue, that's something that is ongoing. And uh, as verse one says, let the love of the brethren continue. you're uh, not rebuking them because uh, it is uh, something they're doing well. They have a track record. The Hebrew epistle recipients have a past and present track record of love. They've been doing well, but he wants it to continue. Uh, so here that track record is being exhorted to continue on into the future. Don't let it stop. Don't ever rest on your laurels and think, well, we're doing all right. Uh, Philadelphia love must always continue. Understanding that Philadelphia love is at its core, it is a love for God to the least of these that you've done to the extent that you've done to the least of these you've done to me. So don't confuse Philadelphia love with um, agape love for God. It's the same love. If you don't have agape love for God, you will not have a legitimate Philadelphia love for the brethren. And uh, it becomes the the uh, motivational virtue for the functional virtue. If uh, if you're familiar with those terms that Colonel Theme made use of years ago, that the agape love is our motivational virtue. And it gets expressed in all the other love applications, including philos love and philos love for brethren is Philadelphia. Philos love for strangers is philisenia. And that's what we're going to be. Uh, that's what we're looking at in verse two. In fact, those expressions are used in parallel with each other in, uh, in a very significant way that doesn't come out at you in the English. And why we want to take the time to uh, to explore that here this morning. The Hebrews class has never really been a, a very deep. It's not been an exegetical class the way the Colossians has been. We don't um, do a lot of the exegetical work. I mean, I do in my study, but it doesn't come out across in the uh, pulpit this hour the way that it does in the in the Colossians hour. And so you might miss it in uh, in uh, in that regard. So when we talk about hospitality, let me get my Bible up here and we'll show you how it's a blessing, uh, both personally and corporately. That when the Bible gives us exhortations to hospitality, there's a personal application to make. But then there's a corporate application to make that as a flock, we should be hospitable, and it's not just uh, we don't just pawn it off on the one the one person with that giftedness or that ministry calling. Uh, you don't have an excuse by saying, "Well, mine's not the gift of hospitality; I don't have to be hospitable." Um, we all are commanded personally to be hospitable, and then collectively as a flock, uh, our church needs to be hospitable, and uh, that's. The uh, the emphasis that we have here in Hebrews thirteen two. I'll put the verse back up here and I tried to do some coloring live while we were in class last week and I I messed up a little bit of it. So uh, in between last week and this week I went back and I uh, erased all of that and I took the time to to color better to give you a better colorization on this to show you the parallels and to show you the plays on words that the uh, that come across in the Greek that uh, were intended to uh to be attention getting in uh in the ears of the hearers when they heard the things being spoken and so um the uh the expression love of the brethren and love of strangers is what uh jumps out at you between the Philadelphia and the Philadelphia uh it doesn't really jump out at you that way if you're just reading in the English from verse 1 to verse 2 let the love of the brethren continue and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers those don't seem to be connected, but they are. They are linked. They are inseparable. And, uh, for example, uh, looking at it in the Greek, and even if you don't read Greek, just stare at it with me, you know, if you would. Um, you've got, you can, you can spot the, the Hey Philadelphia right here. Okay. And then the Tas Philoseneus right there. And even if you don't read Greek, you can see what I colored yellow there. Philadelphia starts with the the P-H-I-L, the phil, the phi, the iota, the lambda. You can see that phil. And I, uh, I can't really highlight just the individual letters. But then also you have the same phil right there, phi, iota, lambda. The first three letters of this word and the first three letters of that word are the same. And even if you don't read Greek, you can at least see that. So you got Phil and Phil. And uh, Phil Adelphia, love of the brethren, and Phila Xenius, the love of strangers. And so when it says, let the love of the brethren abide, meno is to uh, abide, remain, dwell, continue, all of our exhortations in, in like John 15, where we're to abide in the word or to abide in Christ. Uh, that's, that's what Meadow is about. So let, let the, uh, the love of the brethren abide and then don't let the love of strangers be neglected. Don't let, so there's a let and a don't let, uh, a third person imperative and a third person imperative that's negated as a prohibition. Uh, so let the Philadelphia continue. And don't let Philosophia be neglected. And, uh, those are the, that's the, the tandem here. That's the, the parallel, uh, language of, uh, of verses one and two. And, uh, it really, it's hard to translate. It's hard to bring into English. You've got to do better than this, though, with let the love of the brethren continue. If that's how you're going to render verse one, I don't have an issue with that, then change your translation in verse two with uh with something that matches that better. Don't let the love of strangers be neglected. That would be a, a better way to express it in English so that you have the uh the uh, the sense of it there. All right. There's more by the way, because the term neglect also has a parallel. The uh the idea of neglect is gonna have a parallel we're gonna see when we talk about entertaining angels uh without being aware, without knowledge and uh, some have entertained angels without knowing it and uh, the expression without knowing it is uh, another play on words with the uh, the verb to not neglect and uh, any neglect is an is an unawareness it's an ignorance uh if you're if you're neglecting something that means it's out of mind you're not aware of it you're ignoring it and so uh the idea of entertaining angels without knowing it is uh that's the uh, that's a second there's three plays on words here the uh uh the uh, neglecting and the unaware ministry and then that'll come out in the points as we see it here in a moment the third play on words actually uses Philoseneus again because uh the Xenius that's the term for stranger is uh is the core component to the verb for entertaining and so i put a green underline under the word entertained and I put a green underline under the word "strangers," so that you could see that the word uh, "the hospitality to strangers" is not only is that parallel with the love of the brethren, by virtue of both being uh, a, a philos compound verb, but then also philosenius is a parallel with uh, "with zenizo" uh, for uh, entertaining. And uh, the solution to strangers is to entertain them, and in entertaining them. Uh, in welcoming them in the process of entertaining, uh, you're going to solve the stranger issue because they're not going to be strangers by the time you're done entertaining them. And, uh, you're going to know them. They're going to know you. And, uh, entertaining is the, uh, is the, uh, blessing for uh, dealing with strangers. Anyway, more to say on that as we, uh, as we work our way through. Last week we talked about, uh, hospitality as a blessing. Uh, the parallel expressions of Philadelphia and Philizinnia are vivid, attention grabbing and memorable. Uh, by the way, the same Xenia, the same Xenia there that you see in Philizinnia is uh, that's the Greek root for um, the uh, the uh, the proper name Ksenia, like Ksenia Damova, who just uh, uh, gave birth to the to the baby girl uh, the other day. Uh, <coughs> her ukrainian name her russian name of ksenia uh comes from this uh this same root here as the greek xenia so kind of fun little connection there anyway uh the new testament and the apostolic fathers they both make exhortations to hospitality we talked about those last week uh, transforming the older cultural norms into spiritual fruit bearing blessings The fact is, is that in the Old Testament, there are many uh, passages, uh, even expectations of hospitality. We see hospitality in different uh, Bible stories. We see hospitality in in, uh, different uh, applications. Uh, And and those uh, tend to be um, cultural. Those tend to be aspects of life in the ancient Near East. And so they would be, uh, you know, a cultural item. They would be a cultural norm. And failure to be hospitable would be, would be a cultural uh, faux pas, if you will. It would be a cultural insult or a, a shortcoming. Uh, but the New Testament takes those older cultural norms and actually shapes them as spiritual fruit-bearing blessings. Demonstrates that in so doing, not only are you operating in the physical realm, not only are you operating in the visible realm, you're sitting down, you're having a meal, you're doing something very visible, very earthly, very physical. Uh, You're having a a meal with another person. But you're actually also operating in the spiritual realm, that you are functioning as a believer priest in the uh, church age, as a Melchizedek believer priest in the church age, that you are undertaking a spiritual fruit-bearing blessing through the fellowship of the word of God. And uh, this is what gets stressed. And and even in the Old Testament, they were doing it, but they were unaware that they were doing it. And sometimes they even uh, entertained angels and didn't realize that they were entertaining angels. So it was a reality in the Old Testament, but it was an ignorant reality in the Old Testament in many cases. Sometimes after the fact, they will learn that it was an angel, and then they were terrified. They thought, oh, my, uh, we're going to die because we've seen the Lord face to face. Uh, but uh, most of the time it was it was an ignorant thing they didn't even know in their in their sanctified ignorance they were unaware of the fact that they were entertaining angels well the church age is uh, commanded to do these things not in an ignorant way but in a in an intentional way knowing that we operate in the invisible realm and that's normal for us we should always have our spiritual eyes open first in fact we should fix our eyes on the unseen rather than the seen, so that uh, in staring at the unseen so much uh, as walking by faith, not by sight, that uh, the the things that we see almost become um, extraneous. They almost become, uh, you know, not only secondary, but tertiary and the area and, and what area. I don't know. We want the primary to be so primary that we are operating in the spiritual realm. That's the point I'm trying to make. Now, so when we talk about do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, that's uh, the first part of verse 2, and that's what I'm uh, emphasizing here on this first slide. Now we we'll go past that to the issue of angels. Unnoticed hospitality opportunities, that is, if you neglect them, if you fail to notice them and fail to redeem them, then you're going to miss out on the other unnoticed hospitality ministries, okay, and that's the play on words there, neglecting and neglecting, neglecting and missing out, unnoticed hospitality opportunities, that is, if you are neglecting hospitality as a ministry, then you're going to miss out on other unnoticed hospitality ministries, and so, uh, again, it's the play on words here, and I'm Not doing very well with it, trying to explain it. But um, this is where, again, we have the play on words that comes across in the Greek text where you have the do not neglect imperative, epilanthanomai. Epilanthanomai is the Greek. And then the adverb here, elathon, comes from the same root, comes from the same uh, term. And so it's, it's translated as without knowing it, without knowing it. And uh, and if you're missing out on on the hospitality ministries, you're gonna miss out on other unknown hospitality ministries. And um, anyway, this this the Greek shows up as a parallel expression. It's glaring. I think it's glaring anyway. Uh the original hearers would have certainly heard it there well uh, as uh, the reader of the scroll would have been reading it out. Um, their their ears would have immediately picked up on the, the Philadelphia Philosenia tandem and they would have picked up on the uh the the lanthanamide and the alathon tandem Uh, it would have just been um inescapable okay and uh they would not have let it go unnoticed i did not want to let it go unnoticed for our use here this morning but what's uh what's so sad what's so sad and what happens when God opens our eyes, God opens our eyes to see things that we don't see and then to see things that we won't see until um, the judgment seat. And I'll tell you what I mean by that here in a moment. Um, let me just put the subpoints up here and we'll take it from there. Because I think. We need to expand our capacity. To every time we're aware of the will of God, every time we come under a conviction that there is a task that's set before us, um, first of all, we have to be obedient. That was chapter eleven, chapter twelve, run with endurance the race that's set before you. And so there's a race set before you, and we say, Yes, yeah, sir, I'm gonna do it. And the the open door is there, okay. Not the door I would have picked, but God picked it. So Let's do it, okay? And so I'm aware of it. I have an awareness of it, but I only have a partial awareness of it, that much of it is going to be left unnoticed. That's okay. With respect to what is noticed, I'm going to do it. And then if there's additional things beyond that, that I'm completely unaware of, that's fine too. That will be taken care of. Because I was faithful in the things that I noticed. And I'm not going to neglect the things that I notice. So if I don't neglect the things that I notice, then I'm going to bear more fruit than I even realize. Because I'm going to bear the fruit of the things that I notice. And I'm also going to bear more fruit in things that I didn't notice. I have more to say on that here just in a second. So. Unnoticed, let me just say unnoticed ministry opportunities. They're going to make it because it doesn't have to be hospitality. It could be shepherding. It could be encouraging. It could be evangelism. I mean, just pick any ministry that you might, that God might open a door for any one of us tomorrow or today. God might open a door today for a hospitality ministry. He might open the door today for a shepherding uh, ministry. Uh, we learned uh, of, of uh, the, the passing of one of our members this morning. And so that's an open door. We're going to have evangelism opportunities, and we're going to have comforting opportunities, and we're going to have other opportunities on the basis of that. And so we're, the ones that we're aware of, we're going to go through those doors. We're going to engage in those ministries. And even beyond what we are aware of what we're doing, there will be other applications far beyond we only know a fraction of what we're actually doing because we don't know who else is watching who else is listening who else is being edified um, it may be that this ministry gets multiplied again and again and again down the road so uh, consider that now specifically the sensationalism what everybody wants to know about do i really believe that we angels you know have we ever had angels walk into austin bible church have we ever had angels sit uh in in the assembly or uh attend a potluck or uh they they visit and then we never see them again and then we wonder gee maybe they weren't human maybe they were angels sent to test our hospitality sent to test our grace sent to test different things i think a lot of times it's a testing opportunity but a lot of times it's also a learning opportunity because remember, as the angels watch us, they're supposed to be learning. And so God may be sending an angel for some remedial Bible class by sending them to us, sending them to other churches. saying, now oh, go, I want you, I want you to see what a grace ministry is like. I want you to see what a legalistic ministry is like. I want you to see. And, and so these angels are, are touring like, uh, you know, we're exhibits in the zoo or something and they're, they're touring and they're learning. That's Ephesians 3.10. They are learning. All right. Let's talk about angels. Because how ignorant were they? Those who entertained the angels without knowing it, they knew they were entertaining strangers. They just did not know that those strangers weren't human. Okay. So when it says uh, they've entertained angels without knowing it, well, they knew they were entertaining somebody. They knew, you know, when when Abraham had the three strangers that were passing through and he invited them in in Genesis 18, he knew that he was entertaining somebody. Did he know that they were angels? Um, Did he know that one of those three was actually God himself? Now, that one I think he knew, but he didn't know that the other two were angels. And the commentary on this is interesting, Um, not only in Genesis 18, but also Genesis 19, because Lot entertained Two out of those three uh, that that Abraham entertained. And then there's other examples as well, both in the biblical record and in the Jewish uh, traditions, in the the different legends of things, such as Josephus records in, uh, in his Antiquities. There's a reference there as well. So those who entertained angels without knowing it, they knew that they were entertaining strangers. They just did not know that those strangers weren't human. And I hope that makes sense. Genesis 18, this is uh in the portion of Genesis that centers on Abraham. The Lord appeared to him that would be appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted uh, his up, his eyes and looked, behold, three men, three men were standing opposite him. Men uh, is a typical vocabulary for angelic beings that have, manifest themselves in the physical material universe that uh, whatever their angelic form happens to be, if they're cherubim seraphim or whatever the rank might be, uh, whatever face they typically have in the spirit dimension, the face of, a, of an ox or the face of a lion or the face of an eagle, uh, or the face of a man it's a possibility uh, if they have four wings or six wings or how many wings they have or no wings. You know, angels have all kinds of shapes, all kinds of forms, all kinds of faces and so forth. But when they manifest themselves in a visible way in the physical material universe, uh, the typical form that they take is they are in an anthropomorphic um, shape. And that's the case here. And even God himself, God the Son, in hypostatic union, the God-man, Jesus Christ, is walking with them in a angel of the lord man kind of uh material uh nature okay this is pre-incarnate he's not in the flesh is the virgin-born son of man yet but he is uh this is a a pre-incarnate christophany of jesus christ with two angels and so three men are standing opposite him and when he saw them he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said my lord and uh I think he has a recognition that uh, that this is um, Jesus Christ, because he's not addressing all three. He doesn't say my Lord's. He says, my Lord, there's one that he's talking to there. If now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. And this is the Fanny Crosby, the verse that Fanny Crosby used when she wrote her hymn. Uh, please not pass me by. You know, pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others you are calling, do not pass me by. And, uh, that's an interesting hymn because while on others thou art calling is, uh, you know, while you're on your way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah in great wrath, do not pass me by. It's, uh, um, yeah, we don't often think of that in the while on others thou art calling. We're singing the hymn. Anyway, um, let a little water be brought, wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree, and, uh, so forth. Anyway, we're familiar with this. I'm not going to read the rest of Genesis 18 uh the the first two verses give us the uh the context and it's generally thought by all commentators that when the author of Hebrews is uh speaking of this when he's illustrating uh the imperative of hospitality he's saying you know hospitality is critical and don't neglect hospitality that uh by neglecting hospi- uh, that by not neglecting hospitality some have entertained angels without knowing it, and uh it just it's given as a as a um, motivation it's given as a uh, note of of um irony if you will that uh that you can be unaware of everything God is doing and still be bearing fruit if uh, your attitude is a grace attitude and if uh if you're willing to be used in this way. I think that's a, a neat, a neat consideration. Okay. Get to the end of Genesis 18. And we get into the next chapter in Genesis 19. Uh, two of those three men have gone on. Uh, the Lord lingered. He tarried to talk to uh, Abraham. And that's when Abraham did his uh, own personal auctioneering and, uh, bid the, bid the, uh, the thing down from 50 to 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And he stopped his prayer life with 10 righteous men in Sodom. Uh, tragically, Abraham only prayed six times instead of seven. He could have talked the Lord down from 10 to one. He should have just flat out said, Lord, uh, my nephew is down there. He's a knucklehead. He's got a wife and some kids and, uh, married children even. Can you, uh, can you get them out of there? And, uh, and as it was, it's only Lot and his two daughters that are going to escape. But here in uh, the next chapter, in Genesis 19, then, the two angels, then they were called men in chapter 18, they're called angels in chapter 19, but Lot doesn't know that. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, bowed down with his face to the ground, and he said, Now behold, my lords, plural, speaking to both of them, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and uh, wash your feet, then you may arise early and go on your way. They see as the sun's going down and, and, uh, Lot is very aware of the kind of men that come out at night in this town in this time. They said, however, no, we shall spend the night in the square. And, uh, Lot knows, oh, bad idea. Bad, bad idea. You will be abused. Uh, you won't, uh, you won't enjoy yourself in the square. And, uh, anyway, he brings him into his home and, uh, the men of the city, yeah, anyway, it's an ugly chapter. But um he prepared a feast for them, baked unleavened bread, and they ate. And then here come the men of Sodom and the Sodomites want to sodomise, and uh that's what they're uh demanding that uh those men come out to do. All right. Other examples, Judges chapter six. Now in, in that case, in, in chapter nineteen it's a good thing not only have uh, have some entertained angels without knowing but some have had their lives saved by not knowing that they were entertaining angels because the the two men that uh that lot entertained uh they ended up saving lot and uh, his wife and his daughters until the wife turned back but uh, their lives were saved because they showed hospitality judges chapter six whoops. Judges 6, 11 through 21. Gideon, the angel of the Lord, came and sent her to the oak that was Ophrah, belonged to Joash the Abiezrite as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And Gideon said, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us... so. He's talking to the Lord, but he doesn't know that he's talking to the Lord. He doesn't even know that he's talking to an angel. He thinks he's talking to a man. And so uh, this is actually a lengthy story. And uh, you can read it down through verse 21. And so he says, uh, do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering, and lay it before you. And. Uh, So he brings it out, he prepares it, he brings it out. The angel of God then says to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, lay them on this rock, pour out the broth. And he did so. And then um, when he disappears, that's the clue. (laughs) So the angel of the Lord put out the end of a staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And so then the voice returns. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So um, anyway, part of entertaining angels and not knowing it. Um, Judges chapter 13. The parents of samson and uh, they don't know that this is an angel they just think it's uh, a man and so there was a certain man of zora of the family of the danites whose name was Manoah. his wife's name uh, his wife was barren she had borne no children and the angel of the lord appeared to the woman and said to her behold now you are barren and have not born and born no children but you shall conceive and give birth to a son Uh, therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink nor eat any unclean thing behold you shall conceive and give birth to a son and no razor shall come upon his head almost like us and now in this lockdown waiting for the barbershop to open for the boy shall be a nazarite to god from the womb he shall begin to deliver israel from the hand of the philistines anyway this is a long development too you get all the way down to verse 20 so the woman came and told her husband saying a man of god came to me so she thinks he's just a A human, he's a prophet, he's a man of God. His appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said, behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. So Manoah goes to prayer, he entreats of the Lord. He says, O Lord, let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again. Send him back a second time. Because let he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. You know, a prophetic announcement is one thing, but let's get some doctrine. Let's get some teaching, some content. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, behold, he's back. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I don't want to run out of time here. Um So Amoah, Manoah arose, followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you... uh the man, still thinking he's a man, are you the man who spoke to the woman? And she said, and he said, I am. Manoah said, now, when your words come to pass, what shall the boy's mode of life in his vocation? And so this is a part of the teaching, and he wants to know, how do I raise this boy? And, uh, you know, I've got to get him trained. i got to make sure that he's prepared for his mode of life. While he's under the father's instruction, the father has to train and prepare him. So, what shall be the, the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So, the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine or drink. I see, and so she has to be under the Nazarite conditions because whatever she consumes passes through her and into the baby. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine or drink uh, wine or strong drink and eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. So during her pregnancy and nursing, she's got to be under this Nazarite vow. The boy, though, he's got to be under this his whole life, his whole life. You know, once she weans the boy, she can go back to normal life again. But uh, Samson deals with this for his whole life. So Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you that we may prepare a young goat for you. He's getting his teaching and he wants more uh, fellowship. So he's preparing for the hospitality here. Anyway, the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. If you, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. <laughs> so Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. He performed wonders. While Manoah and his wife looked on in the wonders, not just the gee whiz value that a prophet is given to do, so that it validates the content of the prophecy and it validates the, the doctrine that should be learned from. Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when flame went up from the altar toward heaven, that the angel of the Lord ascended in, in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. All right. So the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife ever again. Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die, for we have seen God. The wife has the better perspective. Pretty typical. The wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things. Nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. You know, if he wanted us dead... Uh, he he wouldn't have wasted his time with all the doctrine, with all the Bible class, all this other stuff. You know, it would have been easy just to show up and kill us. And uh, and there it is. All right, so there's the birth of Samson. Some have entertained angels without knowing it, and uh, were sometimes terrorized after the fact when they found out that it was an angel or that it was God Himself, the angel of the Lord. Now, here's the reality all ministry in the dispensation of the church touches the invisible realm so do i think that we're going to ever entertain angels without knowing it maybe but even if we're not entertaining angels even if we're ministering to other human beings the angels are still watching the angels are still present they're watching they're learning and so all ministry in the dispensation of the church touches the invisible realm and so what old testament saints might have done without knowing we should be doing with a full awareness that we operate in the heavenly places in Christ that we function in the invisible realm everything we do touches the invisible realm and the fullness of what we do let's start with that and then we'll finish the sentence the fullness of what we do will escape our notice until the judgment seat of Christ. That we only know the fringes, we only know the um the, the 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 bare elements of it. We don't even know, you know, the half has never been told. Okay? We don't even know the fullness of what we're doing, much of which will not even uh, bear fruit on this earth until we're even gone. See. Let's talk about some of this. Second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse 18. Back up to verse 17. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. This is uh, the the perspective that we should have in Christ. This uh, shapes our attitude for everything that we do. All ministry, all service, all Christian activity, momentary light affliction, is producing. So the things that we endure, we don't like it, but we, but when we remind ourselves that it's momentary, when we remind ourselves that it's light, and we we'll remind ourselves that it is productive, it's doing something, then uh, then we endure it, and then we uh, we have the mental attitude to not worry about it anymore. Because it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory. So it's not momentary. It's eternal. It's not weight. It's heavy. It's not affliction. It's glory. So instead of complaining about the affliction, thank God for the glory. And say the affliction is uh, is uh, not to be rejoiced in, but the glory is. So rejoice in the glory. And thank God for the glory, because it's producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. They are so light years apart; you can't even you can't even put them in a ratio. They're so far beyond. While we look, none of the things which are seen, but of the things which are not seen. So get your eyes off the things that can be visibly seen, and keep your spiritual eyes on the invisible realm. All ministry in the dispensation of the church touches the invisible realm. So keep your spiritual eyes open. And if you find that your spiritual eyes are shut and all you can do is stare at the earthly stuff, you need to confess, get back in fellowship and get those spiritual eyes back on again. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. Keep your eyes on the unseen things. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. And that's the key. And this is what leads right down into chapter five and why we're not afraid of death and why it's a blessing to have this earthly tent torn down and why we're looking forward to the new body that's on the way. Why is that? Because verse seven of chapter five says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. So to me you take the combination of 2 Corinthians 4:18 and 5, 7, and you realize all ministry and the dispensation of the church touches the invisible realm. If if we could walk by sight, then uh, we'd be no different than the Old Testament uh trying to achieve things in the flesh uh in obedience to to an external law and uh and uh, how pathetic is that? No, we got to walk by faith, not by sight. Ephesians 6, verses 11 and 12. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. Put on the panoplia, the full armor. Here's one of our pan compounds. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. All ministry in the dispensation of the church touches the invisible realm. When you forget that, when you lose sight of that, when you, I I think you go carnal quicker than you realize. When you stop looking at the invisible and you and you just all you do is fixate on the visible. When you stop looking at the invisible, by sin of omission, you're not walking by faith. You're walking by sight. So you stop looking at the invisible. That's a sin of omission. And you are carnal before you know it. And uh, just, just think about that. I think we go carnal earlier than we recognize because of the sin of omission. We stop walking by faith. We stop looking with the divine viewpoint. All right. Beyond that, all ministry is in the invisible realm. And all ministry, the fullness of what we do, is going to escape our notice until the judgment seat of Christ. Guaranteed. The fullness of what we do will escape our notice until the judgment seat of Christ. We're not going to have a clue. If you think about it, in Matthew 25, they said, Lord, Lord, when did we do this? And they were unaware. They were unaware. When did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? When did we see you naked and clothe you? You know, if I would have seen a naked person, I probably would have remembered that. And, uh, and, and because I would have put clothes on you and I would have remembered that. That's, that's the kind of thing you don't forget. Okay. Uh, when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? <clears throat> By the way, this passage is not only the backdrop to the hospitality mandate of verse 2. This passage is also the backdrop, this, this Mount Olivet Discourse that Jesus taught. This is also the backdrop for when we get into verse 3, to remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, uh, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. Um, we'll, we'll be there shortly when we get to Hebrews twelve uh, thirteen three, And that verse also has as its foundation the uh the message Jesus preached here. In the Mount Olivet discourse, and so the king answers, "Truly, I say you to the extent you did to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did to me." And so uh, much of what we do, and much of the fullness of what we do, escapes our notice until Jesus starts rewarding us for things, and we won't even remember having done them. And because, well, he'll say, "In your ignorance, you didn't even know you were doing that." And I think there's a lot of it that's going to be that way. I think there's a lot of times. Um, we're doing things and we don't know who's watching and we don't know who's listening. And maybe we think that we uh, we're giving the gospel to somebody and we think that, well, that fell on deaf ears, that he wasn't listening. And we don't even realize that the person that really was listening was sitting in the next table over. He, he, is, he was around the corner, but he was within earshot and he heard what was happening and he gets saved and we don't even know it. And, uh, things like that. There can be things we, we bear fruit we don't even know. And then there's the secondary fruit that we don't even know. Because we encourage somebody and then they turn around and they encourage somebody. Well, guess what? We get, we get compound interest on that. That, uh, that's, that secondary income, we get rewarded for that too. Because they wouldn't have done that encouragement ministry if we hadn't have done our encouragement ministry. And so we get, uh, we get a cut. We get a, we get a, a premium, if you will, related to those things. Anyway, we've, we've taught this before in different things on reward and there's things that we won't even realize. Um, things that we're going to bear fruit in, uh, if you think about it, you know, um, there's still things that, you know, Ralph Braun said years ago. And, uh, every time they come back to my remembrance, every time it, I'm, I'm reminded by the Holy Spirit that, that Ralph said something, I'm like, oh yeah. And then so it bears fruit all over again. And and Ralph uttered those those literal words decades ago, but they keep coming back, they keep bearing fruit over and over again, and much to Ralph's ignorance, he's he's unaware uh on, on a daily basis, every time that memory comes back, uh but every time those words re echo, but he's bearing fruit, and he's gonna get a pile of rewards based on things that happen years later. And that's uh, that's kind of a fun thing to think about. First Corinthians 3, the uh, judgment seat of Christ and the criteria for rewardability. Each man's work will become evident. And even when we don't realize it, even when we don't realize the end result, and we may not even realize the shape that it takes, we may not realize what's done with it later on. You know, Paul uses a planting metaphor, then he uses a building metaphor, and he switches metaphors in the middle of the of the message so that you can just mix and match it and just realize don't get lost in the metaphor because the metaphor doesn't matter. It's the doctrine the metaphor teaches that that matters. But, you know, when he talks about a planter and then he talks about a builder, So uh, he talks about planting. I, he says, I planted Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So there's your agricultural metaphor. Farming, gardening, whatever you want. I planted Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. In in that metaphor, the planting endeavor, putting seeds in the ground, clearing away the weeds, whatever else you do when you're planting. Apollos came along and watered it. it seemed like Apollos didn't do much. It seemed like the planting took more work. But the watering was necessary. God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters anything. God causes the growth. Ultimately, God's the one that's working. We're doing our part when called upon. As those doors are opening, we're, we're being faithful. But then, uh, and, and both get rewarded. He who plants, he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And so for Paul's part, he's rewarded. for. Uh, uh apollos's part he's rewarded god's the one doing the work for we are god's fellow workers you are god's field and then he switches metaphors he says god's building so he switches from the agricultural to the construction so according to the grace of god which was given to me like a wise master builder and so this gold silver precious stones passage is not a gardening continuation it's a building continuation like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. So the laying a foundation would be like planting the seeds. Just change your metaphor. And instead of planting seeds, he said, I'm laid a foundation. And then he doesn't name Apollos. We don't even know who this guy is. Apollos came along and he, he built on the foundation, but now he's gone. Now there's another that's building on it now in the post-Apollos ministry. Somebody else is building on it now. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. And so this speaks to the materials that you're putting into it. Are you contributing the valuable materials or are you contributing the burnable materials? Are you, because uh, the wood, hay, straw is going to get burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. But the gold, silver, precious stones are going to be purified. And that's the difference. What kind of material are you pouring into your brothers and sisters as you edify them? Are you cutting corners? Or are you giving them your best? Are you uh pouring wealth into them of gold, silver, and precious stones? Anyway, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it. The day will show it. Notice, not any number of days leading up to that day, not the day that you're doing the work or the day after or the day after. You know, what if you do the work and then you sit there for a week, a month, a year, and you think nothing's ever come from that. Don't worry about it. Even if it's 10 years later, don't worry about it. The day will show it. At the judgment seat of Christ, there will be treasure, and God will bring to you remembrance what that treasure is about. And it's a neat thing to consider. And it comes down to the attitude. When you get to the end of the chapter, and he uh, returns to this theme here, he says uh, in verse 5 Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness things you thought you were getting away with and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Each man's praise. will come. God's going to praise you because Jesus Christ is going to put it out there on display as gold, silver and precious stones. And God, the father is going to say, well done, well done. And so your praise will come from God. And then we can thank him and throw the, Throw the treasure at Jesus' feet. I would believe He's He's worthy of every crown. Of everything that we do, it's God's grace that made it possible. Okay, so this is uh, this is what we do, and how much of what we do in ignorance is fine. Uh, the angels are watching, and we can do these things in uh, in ignorance. We can do these things in uh, and, and and trust that God has the results. I want to share a quote here from F.F. Um, Bruce which I agreed with. Uh, he he printed it in the uh, New International Commentary of the New Testament. This is F.F. F. Bruce, Epistle to the Hebrews, talking about the author. He is not necessarily encouraging his readers to expect that those whom they entertain will turn out to be supernatural beings traveling incognito. <laughs> it could happen. All right. Don't expect that it does happen. He is assuring them that some of their visitors will prove to be true messengers of God to them, bringing a greater blessing than they receive. And so um, it's kind of a neat way to think about that. Some of their visitors will prove to be true messengers of God to them. That in in many cases, when you are hosting somebody and in the fellowship of, of hospitality, they actually teach you something, you learn something, um, then when they leave, guess what? <laughs> you have the greater blessing. Remember, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it is kind of interesting that uh, in the hospitality that uh, some of those that we host, think about when we host missionaries, when we host visiting pastors, when we host anybody that we host, fellow believers from out of town, anybody that we host, and then the things that we can learn from them, we end up, um, that turns them into a quote-unquote angel, if you will. Uh, it turns them into a messenger of God, as it were, because we're going to learn something from them. And if nothing else, we're going to be richer for the encounter. We're going to be so blessed for the encounter. And that's uh, part of how he designs it. So anyway, I liked the, uh, the quote there that F.F. That F. Bruce had. Okay, on to verse 3. On to verse three. We're we going to teach. Is it going to take one hour per verse to get through chapter 13? Um, I don't think so. Some of these will go quicker. i going to get down. There's 25 verses. I don't think it'll take 25 hours to get through the chapter. But these earlier chapters are, uh, these earlier verses, I think, <clears throat> need more work. All right. So let the love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. As I retranslate that, it's going to be, uh, let Philadelphia abide and do not neglect Philizinnia. Let Philizinnia not be neglected. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. And those who are ill-treated, they might not be in prison yet, but they're certainly being abused. Since you yourselves also are in the body, since they are you and you are they, you yourselves also are in the body. All right. I think we'll uh, pick up on this next week. Let me see what. uh, Yeah, we're going to have some several verses to look at there. They already had a track record with this. They already had a history of um, blessing those that had their their land taken from them. Uh, We had little glimpses of this in Chapter 10. We'll we'll remind ourselves of those passages. And then we'll uh, remind ourselves, what does it mean to be in the body? And uh, for those of you that are doing both hours on Sunday, uh, this won't be a shock, that uh, the Colossians material and the Hebrews material are really dovetailing together quite nicely. Because uh, the idea of one uh, body being a one in Christ is exactly the mystery doctrine that we're looking at in Colossians. So um, Christ being the head and members of the body connected to the head is uh, the mystery of the church. And so these are things that, that we're learning. and that um, really the author of Hebrews kind of takes for granted that his, uh, his readers know this already. Since you yourselves are also in the body, He just lets it go like that and uh, doesn't feel like there's any necessity to to spell it out much uh, beyond that. In fact, not at all beyond that. And then verse four is a marriage exhortation. Marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. So uh, just be warned next week. uh, We're going to talk about prisoners. We're going to talk about marriage. All right. And that tandem of verse 3 and verse 4 um, will be the material next week. And the and the no-nonsense, uh, quit fornicating, right? Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And if you're a fornicator, God will judge you. And if you're an adulterer, then that's a particular kind of fornicator that uh, you're going to get the double judgment. Because you're going to get the fornication judgment and the adultery judgment. It's double compound discipline at that point as uh, adultery compounds the fornication. All right. Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for this time. I thank you for the lessons we're learning in the book of Hebrews. I pray that we make the appropriate applications to, uh, to abide in Philadelphia love and to not neglect the Philosenia love. I pray that we uh, recognize the visible and the invisible uh, aspects of the Christian way of life, that we keep our eyes fixed on the invisible, and that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So that as we are serving in the invisible realm, we don't get discouraged by uh, failure to see physical, tangible, visible results. We don't have to see physical, tangible, visible results. That's not why we're doing anything. That the invisible, intangible, spiritual results are what we're working for, looking for these things to be granted at the at the judgment seat of Christ. So, Father, uh, thank you for Chapter 13 and the very practical lessons it teaches. Uh, Continue to bless our time of study in this book. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.